Hello and welcome to Real Talk for Mums. Two personal trainers coming together through birth trauma to bring laughs, tears and a lot of real talk around the health and well-being of mums. Unedited, raw and unapologetically ourselves, Mags and myself, Lara, aim to empower mums with the knowledge and support they deserve to live their best lives. Come join us for a new episode every week. Mags and I have got the lovely Alicia and Carolyn from Adelaide Pelvic Physios. And yeah, four of us here. Um, Carolyn's a little bit poorly, so she's um, away um, in her home, in her PJs. <laughs> <laughs> so these lovely ladies are actually our pelvic floor physios. Um, and they are known as pelvic floor physios. So introducing them, what actually will start by what actually you do. Hello, I'm Carolyn. Hi, I'm Alicia. Nice to, nice to be here. And Mags is here, of course. Hello. Particularly pertaining to women, mm-hmm. we will treat a variety of conditions. I think relating to what you guys do, we see women who are pregnant and after they've had their babies and assist with rehabilitating them. In particular, I suppose we you know, have a particular focus on their pelvic floor and their abdominal wall and rehabilitating that area. Uh, They might present with um, leakage problems, uh, prolapse, which is descent of one or more of the pelvic organs coming down within the vagina uh, or outside. Uh, They might have difficulty with their bowels. Um, That could be difficulty emptying their bowels. It could be leakage from the back passage. It could be inability to hold in wind uh it could be pain related to having had a tear from delivering their baby uh, they could have had a forceps delivery there's lots of things oh, it sounds yeah. like um you're and, just listing off me yeah <laughs> <laughs> and also um particularly pain during sex yeah, yeah I think um, that's a big one not many people know that 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 could mm, be a pelvic floor issue and mm, they just think it's normal for their body yeah and not necessarily just after having a baby but um, anytime in their lives yeah. any discomfort having intercourse on that yeah. note I think can people leak even if they haven't had babies definitely yeah yeah they can there's um oh there's there's a few different reasons it it, it could be weak pelvic floor muscles but not necessarily it could be pelvic floor muscles that are not working well because they're overactive. Mm. Um, it could have more to do with their bladder function. More mm. than so their bladder muscle might be overactive. Yeah. Or sometimes underactive. So there's quite a few different combinations um, that could be could be going wrong in resulting in not being able to control the urine. Yeah. Well, they they could have mechanical causes that um, they might have a hypermobility disorder. Um, that means their fascia, like their tissue, is extra stretchy and that means the urethra has greater mobility, so they're at increased risk of the, the mechanical cause of urinary leakage, which is stressed urinary incontinence. Um, yeah, so they don't just, I mean, birth or pregnancy and then mode of delivery are known risk factors for urinary leakage, but there are other things that can contribute to that, as Alicia has uh, kind of touched on. Mm. We, I think, you know, sorry, just going back to the original question of the other things that we might see, <clears throat> we might see women after they've had gyne- or before and after they've had gynecological surgery to support their repair and their recovery. Um, well, I mean, we see kids and we see men too, but I know that's not what we're touching on today. Um, yeah, because I heard a lot of girls that do dancing, like ballet, um, like anything that brings them that they're sucking in, basically, mm-hmm. that they end up with a lot of leakage. Is that true? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it can be, but again, for different reasons. Mm. So. Um, I think it's less likely in the young paediatric population for them to have weak pelvic floor muscles. It's still possible mm-hmm. um, and possibly more so from what Carolyn was saying from those connective tissue disorders. 
But I think more often in the paediatric population, it's an overactive bladder. Right, okay. That is predisposing them to more bladder leakage. Um, and that can be something that they've had, you know, as a, a hereditary, um, oh. um, a learned behaviour. Um, so it's, yeah, a lot to look into. It could be, um, you know, it could be excessive drinking. It could be holding on or postponing. Mm. Um, it could be constipation. Constipation is yeah. a factor in paediatrics as well. I bet the excessive drinking is quite a big one because um, in the PT industry, you always, mm. people tell you, drink lots of water, you I have to hydrate. You hydrate. Of water they were telling and so you're like, that's ridiculous. How can you, you can understand why you then have issues with pelvic floor because mm. how can you carry that on your pelvic floor and not have mm. issues with leaking? Exactly. Yeah. And we're seeing young, fit women um, walking around with their huge yeah. drink bottles yeah. and doing lots and lots it's of It's a fashion, parties. isn't it? Yeah. It's just like... yeah. But they yeah. know and they, they know how much they've drank during the day. And some of them are like a two, three litre of bottles. Mm. Yeah. And the other thing too, which sort of links in with the endometriosis, which is really, um, you know, popular. Mm. Moment, mm. Is if a young girl, especially, has been having periods that are really painful, um, then that's going to set up a pathway for possibly more tension in the pelvic floor as well. Yeah. And particularly, you know, that can cause constipation, bladder problems, pain. Um, so we're, we're quite mindful of um, educating young women mm. about periods and what's a normal level of period pain um, oh. and trying not to let them go down that path of um, overactive pelvic floor muscles. Oh. Yes. And say back to kids, so you said you treat kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have a client that her daughter has a lot of leakage problems. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, I actually don't know. So that's actually, mm-hmm. you, I didn't realize you treat kids. Mm-hmm. So um, would they go to their doctor first um, to like to check things or would they come straight to you? I think it's always important that they exclude medical um, conditions that could be causative factors of leakage for children most commonly urinary tract infection but you know they might want some investigations some um, ultrasound of the kidneys to look at kidney function Um, and yeah so there's different investigations medically that need to kind of be excluded first Um, and then they could come and see us yeah the other really important thing that we look at is uh, bladder diaries we get people to including kids and especially what they produce urine wise overnight yeah to weigh their pull-ups or weigh their bedding if they've been wet so we can work out how much urine they're creating because sometimes it's got nothing to do with their pelvic floor yeah and often often it's not to do with their pelvic floor it's bladder function or overproduction of urine at night time uh, it could be a poor arousal uh, for the child um, or there could be some underlying, as we said, bladder function. So it could be some underlying overactive bladder. But the bladder diary is really important because it allows us to look at um, how much urine they produce totally, how much urine they produce overnight. And there's a formula we can look at that um, allows us to work out if they're producing too much urine overnight by comparison today. It allows us to look at their capacity of their bladder, which changes obviously as we get older because obviously your bladder grows as we get bigger. Um, Yeah, and looking at bladder irritants, looking at their bowel, um, I feel like we've completely sorry. Yeah, we'll, we'll bring it back. I think this is really interesting <laughs> because yeah. um, it's going to be important for mums who have their children going mm. through um, taking their nappies off at night time, mm. which is what I'm going through with Monty at the moment. And it's mm. like sometimes they can revert and go back to mm. wetting the bed. Yeah. Yep. Later, and maybe that could be mm. a thing that we need to go and look at with mm. regards to their bladder. Definitely. Mm. Always yeah. get Oh, with always kids, bowels. always bounce first. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Right. Think of the tiny space that, you know, their bladder and bowel sit in. If there's constipation taking up room and um, narrowing that space, then they're going to have less um, capacity to hold urine, possibly more urgency. Um, yeah, it's a huge 
huge factor. So what you're saying is you need to see someone like you two <laughs> to understand, because this is what Mags and I do when we see a client, we generally recommend, have you seen a pelvic floor physio yet? Um, please go. Yeah. Because um, like you were saying, um, obviously they're the inside scope. We can only see as much as we can from the outside when it yeah. comes to working their pelvic floor and working mm-hmm. their core and doing all that rehab stuff. Um, our eyes inside and then I use my two fingers <laughs> <laughs> yeah she wants to do an internal but she's not qualified as soon as Max brings her two fingers out you're worried <laughs> and all my clients laugh at me I do it all the time <laughs> it's, mystery, though, isn't it? it's like this is what happens you need to check out understand <laughs> um but back to kids sorry going back one step Mm-hmm. I see with my son and all his friends, they're in school, right? They'll make a wee in the morning before we leave the house. He doesn't wee mm-hmm. till he comes home in the evening. <laughs> That's really bad. Or he, and I says to him, why don't you make a wee? Mommy, I don't have time. And I'm like, and then he used the excuse, you're only allowed wee at uh, recess and lunch. Or they and don't want to. They, they don't, don't want feel to. feel comfortable yeah. in someone else's <laughs> toilet, which is what I had with Monty. Or sometimes there's um, teasing or bullying that yeah. happens in the toilets. Yeah. Um, some of the girls, I see the young girls, they just think that toilets are disgusting from a hygiene point of view. Mm. Mm. But they often don't drink anything all day. No, because they're scared yeah. to go to the toilet they, and then, then they become and, and guzzle. And then they're often the ones that have trouble with the bedwetting at night because they're fluid overloading later in the day. They should be evenly drinking throughout the day and having regular weeds during the day so should we encourage like i want you to do a wee at recess i want you to try and do a wee at lunch or then am i pushing him but to make a it, wee yeah and is it bladder mm. training in yeah. the wrong way like yeah. i'm confused <laughs> with that too yeah. and that's where it comes down to the importance of bladder diaries so otherwise we're, we're blind mm, as yeah. to what their bladder's functions like we're only meeting someone for the first time so technically before we make certain recommendations you look at their bladder diary and they would have done that for three days beforehand or some days um and then you get an idea you know does this person have a really small bladder and we need to help them normalize it or are they over distending their bladder are they postponing and they need to be encouraged to void more often so again it's very individual depending on what you see in Mm. the bladder diary okay yeah so um, what do you do when you examine me inside? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, understanding you can the internal <laughs> would be really helpful. <laughs> and I guess why it's important to do it internal. Rather than not. The two fingers. <laughs> Bye. I'll just very quickly say before I hand before I hand over to Kaz, um, just in terms of two fingers, we don't always use two fingers. No, no we don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're not doing it that's why you don't need to do it <laughs> um, um well yeah understanding so, like yeah. they might have experienced trauma as well mm. so some people may not be able to do an internal that's and right. that's still okay yeah um and even when they feel comfortable and the time's right i would always say i'll just use one finger first just yeah gauge their comfort levels yeah and then you get an idea actually i believe you did that with me one finger yeah 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 it's important to share I think. Yeah, 100%, yeah. I think a lot of girls when they first hear vaginal ex- examination they think speculum yeah you know, like a smear test yeah. which is really hard invasive. often make yeah so I think it's really important to talk to them about what you're going to do exactly mm-hmm. to put them in mm-hmm. yeah and going back to a smear test could he ever do them? I hate when the doctors do them. They are so rough. And because I had trauma down there, I panic and I tense up and they wreath my legs up and I sound terrible. Now, these girls don't do this. Yeah. But I'm like, why can't a woman tell physio do these? Because, you know, I feel for me, I have to find a woman to do it. Like, I feel she connects better with me mm-hmm. um, because they really hurt. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's what people have the idea of the internal is it's like that mm. where it's actually a really gentle process um when you do it yeah but yeah go for it carolyn girls as well just on that mags um to be able to prepare them for say a marina insertion or to have a speculum or vaginal examination so that they can feel quite comfortable with that so we actually can work with um women for that process right. we can 
you know, we, we can um, use a speculum, but it's important, I guess, that the reason for having a speculum examination is it exclusively for a smear test? Because, of course, now you can actually go to the doctor and get the get the swab and actually do it yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or is it because you need the, the pelvic examination? Yeah. If only they they show on the camera in the in the podcast. Um, we book in say with you guys for you to do the swab when I give it back to my doctor because I'm due one and I'm petrified. Yeah, so technically you're allowed to do it yourself. So you could you could take it and and do it yourself at home. That the reason why a speculum is used is to be able. If you think about what it is. It's a device that goes in the vagina and then they open things up so you can view those walls of the vagina and you can get the cervix into view um, and, and look at that anatomy on the inside because without that tool, you can't, you can only see from the outside what you can only see. Um, so the reason a, a speculum is used by the doctor for that examination is so they can view the cervix and then accurately swab that, you know, scrape that area. Um, yeah. So uh, what was the question? <laughs> <laughs> can you do a smear test at home? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think also um, I think we have to be careful here that we recognise why it's going to be done mm-hmm. and not just yeah. a speculum. Yeah. So a smear test is just for cervical screening. Screening, yeah. Whereas a speculum um, in the gynaecology field, it would be used for a lot of other reasons as well, not just for smear. Yeah. Yeah. So, for example, a woman who's been using a pessary, they need to have a speculum at certain intervals to check all the walls of the vagina and the cervix up the top of the vagina to make sure there's no areas of abrasion. So from the pessary, mm-hmm. okay. So to carry mm-hmm. on, just to make sure it, that that pessary is being used um, effectively and it's not causing any issues. So in in that way, a speculum is important. So we okay. can't say that speculums are no longer going to be used because we've now got these for smears. It's just um, it's it is making I think the swabs for smears are making it more uh, readily available for women to or make women feel more comfortable going to have a smear mm-hmm. who would have otherwise been avoided it. Yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's important because you still need to be checked. But mm-hmm. I can understand feeling very nervous about doing it. Yeah. Well, I had the the where I got that fear was after having my first uh, like a fourth degree tear of the malarkey that came with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she just like it was a lady nurse, and like I'd explained to her that I've had this child, and I like I was I was shaking because I hated everything to touch me. It wasn't even having sex or anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And she just reached it up, and she and I remember her twisting and twisting and twisting the thing, oh, and there was tears coming down my eyes. And she was like, "Do you want it done or don't you?" And, no, I don't. And it wasn't in this country; it was in another country. And I was just like, "Oh my god, I never want to have one done again." And then I booked in with a lady because you have to get them done every tree isn't it every tree I can't remember, can't remember it. it's different in the UK. and I said it to a lady I've had you know this horrible traumatic experience please can we do this okay and she was beautiful she was really really nice but that still goes into my mind and that the twisting of the thing mm. was the hardest part ever yeah and you know I didn't even know what a four degree tear was back then you know mm. so um everything was sensitive yeah and I think other women probably have that fear as well I'm not the only one that has experienced a fourth degree tear you know there's loads of women out there yeah yeah definitely but, um, it's important to bring it yeah, up yeah definitely but yeah back to what you do <laughs> yeah like go, that. <laughs> going through that internal yeah um if you can explain it are you explaining carolyn what actually happens in it because that's important too like i think before anything it's important that a woman actually understands her own anatomy and so we would do a really thorough um education around the pelvis and showing and touching feeling um, and then explaining that the only way we can really ascertain uh, uh, quantifiable and measurable 
components of pelvic floor function is through doing a palpation examination. And so that process allows us some measurable things that we can look at, but allowing the woman then to go, well, actually, we could do what, what the alternatives are. And so, yes, we could do an internal examination by palpation, but we could also do a visual examination. So by looking from the outside and palpating the sitting bones and, and observing um, uh, the anatomy from the outside, you know, there's a there's a tick cross mechanism of of looking at pelvic floor function. So you can ask a woman to contract their pelvic floor and let go. And what we'll see externally is visually moving of that perineum, um, which is the area between the vaginal opening and the back passage. And uh, that that really doesn't allow us to assess tone necessarily um, or, you know, closure and some of the elements on the inside, um, but it gives us a basic understanding of correct technique, um, which, which can be a starting point for, for a woman who's feeling very vulnerable um, or a woman who, um, you know, has, has perhaps never had this type of examination before or they've got a history of pain. And then I guess a step back from there is we could um, fully clothe to actually look at, breath pattern, look at um, abdominal cavity, look at glutes, look at all those external things that we really don't want to see much activity there when someone's activating and relaxing their pelvic floor. So I think, um, you know, that education is so important and, and I just perhaps sometimes I go a bit overkill. <laughs> um, but I just think, you know, that knowledge is so important and in allowing a woman to have um, the autonomy to say that actually, no, this is not something I want to do and that there are alternatives. Um, yeah, so I think that first and then second, doing a really thorough consent. And so, you know, you're asking for full consent to do whatever type of, whether it's visual um, uh, or internal um, palpation examination and then looking for and asking a woman for the term I use, you know, is... Um, Oh, we've lost you. Is there any reason that an internal or this type of examination? <laughs> oh, can you hear me? Have you got me now? Yes. Can you hear me now? Yeah, can yeah. you? Okay. Um, so asking that the wording I use around looking for clues or signs of um, past history of trauma and abuse um, might sound like is there any reason that a, an examination might cause you some emotional distress, um, which gives them opportunity to, uh, you know, allow that information to be shared. Um, asking for allergies to latex or lubricating gel and asking for a chaperone or someone else in the room for the examination. Um, so that's, that's really important, obviously, you know, full stop, it's important, um, especially in in the world that we are in right now. Um, and then you would allow, um, you know, that examination to happen. Um, Sorry. And then that's where I think, Alicia, you'd already spoken yeah. about. Well, I, I said have a good chat. So that's what I meant. Have <laughs> <laughs> a good old chat. Yeah. But, but thank you, Kaz, for clarifying that. That's important. Oh, and also, just in terms of that, um, you know, has have you had any experiences that have would make this type of examination uncomfortable? Quite commonly, they actually talk about a traumatic pap smear. Yes, they do. Quite yep. commonly, right? yeah. you know, often, you know, sometimes that there's also unfortunately some abuse that they want to talk about, but mm. um, quite often that that abuse to some women is a traumatic pap smear. I love mm. that you've given them space to say that because yeah. they may not. Yeah, have ever been asked that? No, and I often get the reply, "Thank you so much for asking mm. that." Right, the two be hearing is like you're there for the client's best interest. Mm. The person that's right in front mm. of you is who you're giving your all to. Mm. You're feeling them. You're giving them education of mm. this is what I'm doing. Mm. You're giving them empowerment that they can go. Wow, I felt amazing after I've come out of there. 
and giving them support, giving mm. them a place where they have a voice, you know, because sometimes as women, we don't get a place to have a voice. Mm. And it's like, oh, yeah, everyone has a baby, you know, or everyone has a pap smear, whatever, where you've given them that opportunity to mm. open up to you. And for them, they might have held it for years, you know, and now you've given them that space. So thank you, ladies. It's lovely that you're in our lives, too. <laughs> no, you're welcome. <laughs> and sometimes to that first uh, that first appointment, you don't end up doing anything from an interview view because they have identified things that they wanted to chat about first and that's totally fine they postpone the examination yeah. yeah i love that you've shared all of that information and it actually helps put in perspective why it's so important that you you can't just do kegels no. after you've had a baby mm. um even though it's just readily shared that okay you've had a baby just do your kegels mm. but it's like okay if you do need to do your kegels are you doing them correctly mm. and that's what you check and then it also it's everyone has a different ratio of kegels or routine mm. if they are to do kegels if they don't have a hypertonic pelvic floor mm. then 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 they won't be doing kegels mm. um so i think that's really important so you can't just do your kegels mm. um and a lot of time people are doing kegels wrong and exactly again we're always bearing down at the chapel, yeah. like, mm. at, um mm what's the one at the chapel like when you're sitting on the toilet it's a huge one and it's like no you don't do that and then what's the third one I can't remember I know what you mean I think yeah. it, I mean, it comes down to with um when we're doing a pelvic floor examination you work out okay does this person lack strength mm. or do they lack endurance endurance or do they lack speed and coordination so what you find there then determines what type of pelvic floor exercises they need to do so, you know, do they just need to pure uh, train pure strength? And there's, um, you know, physiological principles that you follow for muscle strength training that we extrapolate into the pelvic floor uh, scenario. Whereas if someone's just lacking speed and coordination, the exercises you give those people may be a little bit differently. Mm. Um, and different positions that you do them in, you can use positions to... Uh, progress um, or change the exercise. Yes, so like lying down, then you're progressing all the way through to standing, all which fours. is obviously a lot harder. Yeah, and I think even the length of hold that you prescribe, it depends on what that woman can do initially. Yeah, and then you um, you actually alter your um very individual prescription as well. Um, mm -hmm. as I have had it with Carolyn. Yeah. Um, on that note, do you is this a fatty thing or not? Um, do you do I think of weights? as in you attach we a weight them. to your pelvic floor. Is that a real thing or is that just bullshit? Yeah. No, we have a good chat. Do you want to answer that one? Or I'm quite happy to. I've, I've only sold my last one yesterday. Oh, my goodness. Show me. Let's just see what it is. I can't That's hear you. We can't hear you, Karen. Oh, oh yeah, I can see. Um, it is a thing then. Yeah. Yeah. So vaginal weights can be used in the right population. So we, we don't advocate buying them online and anyone using them without proper instruction, instruction or yeah. examination assessment of the pelvic floor. But in the right setting, if you're trying to train someone or help her train her pelvic floor for strength and she's got good technique, she's been able to build everything up so she's doing all her exercises standing up and you, you want to find another way of progressing, then you can use um, vaginal weights uh, to place on the pelvic floor so they're like a, a glorified tampon that's what I they're like a weighted tampon but they're all different sizes so how do you use yeah, it yes yeah, just... how do you Carol, use trying it to say something. I know exactly so you actually where do you attach it like how do you use it lying down or forward like so I I wouldn't normally recommend lying down. So the idea of using weights is to, to progressively add resistance and load to the pelvic floor. Yeah. So I if if I recommend weights to anyone, it would be when they're doing all their exercises standing up, and easier when they're in the shower. So I get her to put her weight in when she's in the shower. It could be every day. It could be every second day. She might be in maintenance by then, and you wear it. You put it in like you would a tampon. So it sits above the pelvic floor. Okay, on so it's like a weighted floor. tampon. It's, um, I wish I had one here. <laughs> it's the silicon. Now, the ones we recommend uh, um, are silicon. They um, 
are actually got a bit of width to them because mm. that's the other thing that we find women will buy weights online and, and they're really thin and yeah. they fall straight I mean, out. I can't imagine me being able to do it with an avulsion because well, that's just drop out. That's the thing. So that's why not everyone mm, exactly. will use them. Yeah. But if you've, if you've gauged the width of the weight and the width of the woman's hiatus or her opening size, um they can be a good adjunct to pelvic floor strength training used in the right way. We don't want them to put them in and go and do the housework for the next couple <laughs> of hours because that will set up a, uh, a quite a likely pelvic pain situation. But in the right person, they can be used quite yeah. well. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Do you want to add anything else, Cass, to that? I think I often recommend the shower too because it's convenient. So... Um, you know, I think uh, there's been a growing interest in using devices to train your pelvic floor. The one that a lot of people know about is the PeriFit. Um, that's probably over people's news feeds and, you know, you can you can connect it to an app on your phone and people, like, you know, see this graph of their when they contract and when they let go. And, you know, I guess there's a sense in which... Um, uh, it motivates people. Um, but the barrier to ever using something within the vagina is you've got to strip off and put something in there and then, you know, and then still do it. Um, so at least with showering, you're already undressed. So um, that's typically when I will suggest using them as well. Um, yeah. How much do those curry fits cost? I think they're about $200. 200. Yeah. Yeah. But they're not cheap. The, the perifit, sorry, just to explain, the perifit is not a vagina weight. The perifit oh. is EMG feedback. So it's it's another way of helping to train a good pelvic floor muscle contraction and and allow some biofeedback about the progression, but it's not um, adding load or resistance. Is that the one where you do a game as you do your Did you yes, see that? Kegels? Can... <laughs> Just tie it in with something fun, hey? Yeah. But you have to be careful. So these, we wouldn't give these to women who um, can't contract properly. Um, yeah. Otherwise, they can get too carried away playing the games. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, and they'll forget about the technique and they're trying and to... And they could then just use their glutes and adductors. Do you know what I mean? So you still have to ascertain correct function and technique first. Um, can we go back to the pelvic floor um, examination? Say with me, when you've examined me, Alicia, we've less tension on one side to the other side. Again, obviously, I'm not the only person that has that, you know, so with, um, having internals is important for that because we know that one side is different to the other side, um, that it's not just because it's, I call it the sling, mm -hmm. um, that we can have different tensions. Do you want to explain mm -hmm. a bit about that or is there anything uh, are you referring to levator avulsions? No, do you remember we were finding well, Lara has me it is. or Lara, but then we felt my right side was weaker than my left side. I was giving more tension, and you, mm. we might think it's from the trauma that yeah. I experienced. Mm. But obviously, other women feel that too as well. Mm. Um, that if I, you know, say we're training it, you could feel that I was lifting and contracting or contracting and relaxing the left side better than the right side. But, you know, with other women out there too, mm. you know, if they're going through any of that as well, that, you know, to explain that that's another important reason to do your internal examination mm. is mm. to see how that is all um, in sync together. Mm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I think um, for, for some reasons, if, you know, one side of the pelvic floor might be overcompensating. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes I've actually seen a few women who, have not much function at all on one side and the other side is actually quite tight and overactive and fatiguing. So it is very hard to then just do a very general strength training program for that because you would be, um, you know, making the overactive side worse. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think one thing that women can do is if they feel comfortable, um, self-palpating. So, you know, if they feel comfortable in the shower, um, putting one or two of their own fingers in the vagina just for some biofeedback and you can place your fingers on either side of the pelvic floor and, and try doing some squeezes 
and and see what you feel mm. because that gives us the quickest and the cheapest form of biofeedback. I think that's really important. I don't yeah. think many people would do that or think to do that no. to learn about your own body. And don't expect that it's going to be a really vice-like grip around the fingers. Um, and and also, if you only put one finger in right in the middle of the vagina, you may not feel much mm. because the vaginal muscles, you normally palpate, feel that contraction on the bottom half of the vaginal opening. So, um, but that technique alone can give you some really good learning um, information about what's happening with the pelvic floor. Um. Can you do a pelvic floor internal if you are pregnant? And is it is that important to check mm. when you're pregnant? I'll let I'll let Carolyn answer this one because we've had a good discussion about this, Kaz, haven't we? Pelvic floor physios. So firstly, um, we're both going to advocate that it's really important that every woman who is um, pregnant has some kind of education and understanding around their muscle function and control and also looking for um, risk factors for longer-term pelvic floor dysfunction. So I think pregnancy is a great opportunity for women to engage a pelvic floor physio. Um, your question was, can you do a pelvic floor examination on a pregnant woman uh, until they've had that morphology scan and they know they've got a healthy pregnancy because I would hate for, it's really for the woman's psychological state, that if, if heaven forbid, um, the pregnancy doesn't end up being a viable pregnancy, I don't want that woman and to then reflect and go, oh, if I hadn't have had that examination, maybe this wouldn't um, have occurred. And, uh, you know, not that I think um, the vaginal examination would cause be a causative factor in that process, but it's part of that um, psychological understanding. Having said that, having an internal examination carries a very small risk of infection, and it is very small. Um, so that that's my personal preference. But I think as Alicia, and we've had this discussion, has shared that if a woman's sexually active during her pregnancy and there hasn't been any fluid or bleeding loss to suggest that there might be, you know, a bit of incompetence of the cervix or um, other risk factors, then, you know, that Alicia's will do that examination after she's passed that first trimester knowing that there's a viable pregnancy. I think it depends on on the indications too. So yeah. if, if the woman just has no idea um, about a pelvic floor contraction and all she wants to know is, you know, am I contracting my pelvic floor properly, you, yeah. you can do that either externally or with a very superficial internal examination, which... You know, I don't go anywhere near the cervix. Um, it's just really the level of the pelvic floor muscles. So I think you have to take into consideration all those different factors. You know, what what the woman's after, um, and and how comfortable. I think you just weigh it all up at the same time. Yeah. Um, and then, like, say before you ever have kids, would it be a good thing to see a women's health physio before you have children? Like just to know what everything is happening inside. Do you think, um, you know, you hear a lot of people saying, I just couldn't let go when I went into labor. Would that be due to hypertonic pelvic floor, weak pelvic floor? Would there be anything related or? That's a good question. Again, I think it comes down if you've got any symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think if there's any pelvic floor symptoms and you have, haven't been pregnant, it's it's worth um, investigations. Yeah. So now, it, I mean, it could be a GP visit first. It could be a pelvic floor examination. If it's just a general checkup, um, I think it's it's good to know what your pelvic floor is like. You know, is it hypertonic? Um is it perfectly normal strength, but your control of the pelvic floor is lacking? That's always an area that is important um, before having kids. Um, in, in terms of your question about leading into labour, 
we know that a good strong pelvic floor that you have good control of will also allow better control of relaxation during labor as well so yep. if you've been told that you have a weak pelvic floor in pregnancy and are given strength training exercises um, by an, a pelvic floor physiotherapist it, it, a lot of women say well i don't want to make myself too tight because that might impede the delivery and um that's one what i was concerned about mm, with my second mm. but if you appropriately train your pelvic floor muscles mm -hmm. for strength you also improve your control and your awareness yeah and part of strength training uh carol and i are very fussy on the let go phase yeah the relaxing so i often say your let go is just as important as your squeeze yeah so um so it shouldn't be a reason to not do them um, because you're scared that you're going to be too tight. To but I think um, a lot of people don't let go because even mm. with me, you were like, you don't basically bear down, you know. Mm. Now I bring that on to my clients, always contract, but make sure you let, let it go. go. Sing Frozen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let it go, let it go. <laughs> um, but sorry, I don't have a day job of singing. <laughs> um, but yeah, a lot of people forget about the let go. They're contracting, contracting, contracting. Mm. And like, I was like that after I had my first because it was like just make sure you do your your kegels 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 and I didn't even know what I was doing do you know so there's so many people out there that don't realize by letting it go is just as important as contracting as well I think because yeah. you're worried because we both have had pelvic floor mm. concerns and issues you worry about letting go and bearing down because what if everything just falls out mm. exactly so, yeah. I mean that's something you have I, I was just going to say um in answer like I guess an extension of what you said Alicia about preconception engaging a pelvic floor physio um like what are the symptoms right so you know if if ever there is any urinary leakage that is not normal <laughs> if ever there is any leakage from the back passage or an inability to hold wind or a difficulty emptying your bowels again not um, although very common, not normal, uh, a sensation of pain, um, an inability to use tampons or pain with intercourse, again, common, not normal. <laughs> um, a what sensation about, what of about, pain. Sorry? What about having to rush to the toilet? Is that another thing where yeah, you... It, urgency so an inability to so the definition of urgency is an overwhelming desire to do a we that's difficult to defer now the definition of urgency has not changed for a number of years and Alicia and I <laughs> listened to um, a very well-versed uh, physio who's done lots of research into um, bladder urgency and uh, again, um, sometimes urgency is warranted. So if you've got this really full bladder and you've been holding on for four or five hours, that's not what we're talking about. It's the first desire to do a wee that is overwhelming and difficult to defer. So that, again, um, is something that we would want to engage uh, or educate and understand what's going on. And I guess the other thing is there are, there are genetic uh, risk factors. So if you've got a mother, an auntie, a sister um, who has prolapse or has a history of um, uh, urinary leakage or bladder or bowel dysfunction, that might be another reason. Uh, or if you're a child who um, perhaps was a bedwetter until... Um, you know, your early teenage years or you have giggle incontinence, which is often linked to overactive bladder. But so they're the types of things that um, it can be quite useful for you to engage a pelvic floor physio um, before conceiving. Um, some women, you know, um, it, it can be a good opportunity just to understand because <laughs> um, there's so much that um, you don't know until you know it <laughs> if that makes sense yeah 
Um, thank you for that. Thank you for clarifying because those symptoms are important for people to understand if they um, need to see someone. Um, and yeah. it's important to understand your own pelvic floor first because there's so many changes that happen when you when you've had a baby and then you've given birth as well. Um, I think that's why it's important, even if you've had a vaginal birth or a C-section, you've still carried that baby. And there's so many people still believing that you don't need to get a pelvic floor check because I've had a C-section. So but they don't offer it. Um, when I had um, my C-section, I asked because I was being a bit of a pain. Can I see a woman's health um, or pelvic floor? Well, you weren't being a pain, Megs. You were advocating for yourself. And I was told, I don't need to see one. And I said, yes, I do. And they were like, no, you don't. But and they I don't said, offer it with um, vaginal either, unless you've had a third or right. repair. Yeah. But yeah, I, I said to her, as I've had a 4.5 kg baby. So I need to see one. And then, God bless her heart, she was a young girl and she came in. And she was like, oh, you're too sensitive down there to do one. And I goes, I had a C-section. <laughs> so, but then I booked in and I seen Alicia. And Alicia sorted me out. But I felt sorry for her because like, there was no internal examination, nothing. But I was just being a twig. Like I purposely asked because and I wanted to hear what their answer was. And not nah, you've had a C-section. But eventually they got me to see her, which was amazing. But how many other people are out there, um, as Lara said, after having a natural birth, no offer whatsoever. Mm. Like, it's just, it's terrible, I personally feel. Yeah. But mm. again, like when I had my first, all the trauma I went through, I had the four degree tear, um, Carolyn, um, and loads of stuff happened afterwards. But like a women's health physio came in to see me in the hospital. Now, this was in New Zealand. And I was so off my head and drugs. Um, I had lost lots of blood. Um, so that I didn't even know where I was, mm -hmm. to be honest. And she came in and I had muscle separation, never knew how much I had. And we spoke about the pelvic floor, but I had no clue whatsoever. And then I remember she gave me the tubular bandage to put over my stomach. And I was like, I'm what? like, oh yeah, I'll do this. No clue whatsoever. No clue afterwards of a follow-up of a women's health physio. Didn't see one women's health physio in New Zealand. I ended up going on having my surgery in New Zealand. Never recommended after having the TVT sling inserted of how important you guys are. Still leaking after having my surgery. Mm -hmm. And all the urologist said was like, do your Kegels. But sure, I didn't know what Kegels were mm -hmm. properly. And then I moved to uh, back to Australia then I did my own research to figure out because I, I just lost my whole body basically mm. but how many more women are out there are in my position and you know it's so important that you know we can see it we all want to empower these women we want to support them give them the education this isn't normal you know mm. and you know um having a new baby um for me that 12 months was taken away from me because I gave so much time in and out of hospital how many other women are in that position, you know, and, you know, how important ER to women. It's in, like, it should be shouted from the rooftops, you know yeah. what I mean? But it's kind of a taboo. And then, you know, we spoke about earlier, I, I finally found, um, I, I taught a women's health physio and I went to see her, but she did no internal examination on me. And then I was told how to contract my pelvic floor by squeezing my glutes. And I, again, I was lost because I was still leaking. Um, do you want to go into a bit of that, like about a women's health physio that doesn't do an internal examination? And is that still OK? Because obviously some people may not, they can't just do an internal, they're just not ready. Mm. Yeah. I'm so sorry that was, that was your experience, Mags. That's, that's, unfortunately, it's not uncommon, but it's every time I hear these stories, I'm just... I feel so deeply for you because you're so vulnerable and it's you don't know what's normal. And as I said, you don't know what you don't know until you know it. <laughs> and so now that you know it, I love that your your passion in wanting to, you know, other people to know what you know. Because <laughs> um, that's how we feel. <laughs> We know we know that we can help people and change their. I often get asked, um, why do why did I do this area of physio? Because <laughs> oh, do you want to stick your finger in? It? <laughs> and I just go, oh, if only you were in the room with these women women who want to come in and hug you because they're not leaking anymore, or they can have sex with their husband and it's not painful. <laughs> 
or they can conceive to have a baby. It's just you change someone's quality of life with in a way that um, is so deeply personal that they feel entirely vulnerable to share, even with their closest friends. Like that's why we do what we do. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, 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 I said that because I just thank you for sharing that and I'm sorry that that was your experience and I'm sorry that um, your experience of seeing a women's health physio uh, was someone who who perhaps at that time didn't give you the education that you needed. And I guess as physios, we are taught to um, practice within our scope of practice. And so in our career, we can, you know, as a, as a physio, you graduate and I always you know, just think, gosh, you're just taught to um start to scratch the surface of dealing with people and and trying to build up an assessment um, uh, toolkit and a treatment toolkit. And and it's so important across any profession, but, you know, especially obviously in physio, that you continue to um, grow in your own professional development through doing courses and whether you go on to do a master's or you find the area that is um, lights your fire and what you want to continue to do. So in all that being said, um, everyone in their career is on their own journey of um, accreditation. And so that physio that you saw wasn't accredited, wasn't able to provide that internal examination. So I guess if um, your listeners take anything away from this, that to examine pelvic floor muscles to be able to ascertain their ability to contract, relax, but also grade elements of that muscle function, you need the internal examination. And so being able to see um, a physio who has done that pathway to be able to do that examination is really important. Is that, do you have something to add to that, Alicia? I think that's very nicely, yeah. very nicely said because there are so many physios out there that, that Kaz, you and I still uh, co collaborate with. Yeah. And, um, you know, sh not share clients, but we, we all want to be able to help this one woman and we all have our specialties and we all have yeah. areas of expertise. So, um, so we are very interested in the pelvic floor, but there are other physios out there that have other specialties that can help you in other areas mm, and yeah. PTs as well. Um, yeah. To more, um, you know, taking all the education from the pelvic floor and extrapolating it into, you know, general exercise classes. Yeah. And function, and that's important. Yeah, and for us as PTs, you know, you, like you get um you know women that come to you and they open up like they do for you guys and just being able to support that person you know um and you know not make it normal because you do see yeah. in the big world of like you know um lifting weights and wetting yourself and you know it's a kind of a show thing where it's like no darling that's not normal you don't need to wet yourself doing that you know what I mean and just giving yeah. them that support that you know for and we can build you strong you know what I mean yeah yeah, yeah absolutely that's a good one actually to lead into um just conscious of time when it comes to the six week checkup mm. like what's the reason behind six weeks and is it important to still go and get a GP check because for me personally I just go straight to you guys that's what I did mm -hmm. um, because I wanted to know about ab separation pelvic floor and my GP didn't do any of that. Yeah. I think, I know you've got something prepared, Carolyn. That's why I'm looking. <laughs> Always talk, you know me. So you start. <laughs> I think at, at six weeks, it's, um, you know, say if you've had stitches or something like that, they are likely to have healed by six weeks generally, um, but very superficial healing. Mm. Uh, there's also discussion about contraception. So, you know, do, should you see your GP? I don't, we can't, we can't um, 
uh, replace that at all because it's important discussions to have with your GP around that time. Um, but it, it's not the time when we can say at six weeks you are ready to go back to normal life or normal forms of exercise because we know from a tissue healing and tissue recovery point of view it's it's closer to three to even six months before um, tissue function is back to normal and that's if you followed the right recovery process okay so I think it, I think from my point of view Carolyn you can add some more but I think the six-week check is still an important check but it's not the check to actually get the tick off, you know, the the clearance from a pelvic floor point of view. Mm. I think um, that needs to happen at the same time and then probably another one down the track um, before going back to high-impact exercise and things like that. Definitely. I mean, go for it, Carolyn. I think uh, it comes back to education, doesn't it? So you can, the reason why there's that medical six-week check is that it takes six weeks for that uterus to contract back down into the pelvis. Uh, women should have ceased bleeding by that stage. And from a physiology, like it's physiology, right? So you would expect that, as Alicia said, that superficial um, scar tissue stitches to have been either absorbed or dissolved or what's on the outside drop off. Um, and so from a medical standpoint, they need to ascertain, has the woman finished bleeding and is it normal? Because um, obviously there's quite, um, you know, there are risks if a woman has some retained um, placenta uh, or there's um, signs of infection. Um, you know, there's all these normal processes that we should expect to have happened by that line in the sand of six weeks so from a medical standpoint that's an important check it's also an opportunity for the doctor to connect with the mum and the baby because commonly if um, you know there'll be a discussion as Alicia mentioned around contraception like a, a woman often feels like they go to that appointment, they're given contract, or what are you doing for protection and contraception? And um, how's the baby? And technically they're, you know, checking for signs of postpartum depression. And it feels like, a you know, depending on your doctor, sometimes it can feel like a rushed appointment um, because there's lots of things to cover. So I guess what, what Alicia and I would like to differentiate is that a pelvic floor check can, or a, a an assessment with a pelvic floor physio can be done at any time frame. And in fact, we can see women before that six weeks to look at abdominals, to look at um, perineal swelling and how to manage that swelling. And if they're already having early signs of prolapse, what can they do um, to manage that in those very vulnerable early weeks? Um, uh, well, when you saw me, I had a tubi, you stuck me in a tubi grip bra even before six weeks. I was like two weeks postpartum. I was like, this is yeah. <laughs> it suited her. <laughs> breasts and mastitis and feeding and postural pain. And so it's it's not just about the pelvic floor and yeah, carpal tunnel, Alicia's pointing to her wrist or decoy veins, like the mum's thumbs. Um you know, there's lots of things that we can assist with. So um, I think I want to differentiate that there's that medical assessment that is very different to what we do. I think it's, it is important, though, I, I believe, and Mags, I'm sure, um, because you are told at the GPs, OK, because you're asked, like, can I go and exercise now? They would say, yeah, I don't see why not. OK, but what do you exercise you've got a new body now and I think mums don't realize how new their body is and why it is so important to still get checked with um, you guys and then work with a PT who specializes in working with women who understand pelvic floor issues and don't just go back into classes doing box jumps and trying to get your body back it's just it it makes us cringe <laughs> and I suppose you see a lot of people that go back into it 
and and I I say this in a nice way with a, a strong body mm. and then 12 weeks of doing this you know crazy exercise and then they end up and and it happened to myself you end up with wider muscle separation because you're doing exercises that are making those abs go wider and wider that you don't realize mm. you are getting leakage then because the pelvic floor might have been at a weak point but it wasn't leaking at your six mm. weeks but then 12 weeks later, you're leaking more mm. then you know you could have bowel problems there's loads of things that people go oh shit I was fine after having but the they baby no they? they have it's no idea that shared, if but... they got that sorted then not sorted but strengthened mm-hmm. and built them as I always say built their foundation and then gave them the wings to spread mm-hmm. they'd be flying it but a lot of people go backwards they go out they smash their bodies because that's what society is telling us you, yeah it, like we'll go on our phones now and everything will be six weeks you can go six week challenge yeah your body back. and that's what happens and then everyone does it because it's society it puts that pressure on us and like you know even after I had um, my baby just there like well he's nearly 12 months like people would come up to me like you were definitely only belly and I was just like yes I know and I'm not like looking at it you know and it's like you know they're giving me a compliment but I'm kind of like yes I know and you know I'm trying to get rid of this now you know what I mean because you are all that you're looking at is there and like then that people it it does it gets into your head because you're like everyone's looking at me now just looking at the belly and then you'll stand like this and you'll stand like this that no one can look at that and I'm not the only one there's so many women out there that feel that way as well Mm -hmm. and that's the way society's putting it and it's all that pressure of get our bodies back but yeah I find you know they they their bodies might be that wee bit um weak but then they go and they not that they trash it what word can I use like a some do though yeah. I mean yeah but doing the yeah. exercises that aren't correct for their body yes. after having a baby yeah. yeah I think the other thing when you're a new mom you've also got the hormonal impact that's mm. still happening especially if you're breastfeeding you haven't had periods back for a while yeah um sleep deprivation um it can also increase your risk of um more damage or more um more trauma so being really careful in those in those periods of time too being careful of your boobs mm-hmm. too so tubing um, grip doesn't help if you're doing box no. jumps and you need often what a couple of <laughs> two pairs that i've always i've always said you often need your maternity bra and then your sports bra yeah you got three on um, <laughs> because your breast tissue is so sensitive yeah. and your boobs are so much bigger at that time too you don't want to go bouncing them up and down and causing Black another eyes. issue yeah <laughs> and i think like another thing that was pushed for and it's for abscep and the c-section scar is the compression tights mm-hmm. some of them can be so tight that you can't breathe in them mm-hmm. but like I remember I put on my first pair I was literally sitting like this because I was so <laughs> uncomfortable and my husband's like I don't think that's it's a good idea a suit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing it but again that's what I was being told get it on as much yeah, as you can mm-hmm. and some days I was sitting there going <laughs> I can't breathe oh, so I suppose what I learned from that was like you know we don't need to push ourselves into that position should we really you know like are we at such a risk if we don't have it that tube together no I think they should be making you feel more comfortable yeah they shouldn't be making you feel uncomfortable <laughs> um, <laughs> so dramatic <laughs> it doesn't mean that if you have them on that you can go and do whatever you like yeah, yeah. Um, but they should be there to add support uh, add proprioception or awareness to your body but still um exercising within the limits of what of what your body can do um on that note is there anything that you want to add carolyn as we wrap up it's about pelvic floor because like i had a woman only this week that um had the mechanical type of leakage so stress urinary incontinence and she only had it with um sprinting and kicking a ball and she thought, you know, her pelvic floor must be really weak, really weak. Um, and in fact, it wasn't hypertonic either. So it wasn't that um, that was the cause. She was actually really strong. And this is where then I kind of thought we have to look more broadly. And she still had quite a wide diastasis up at her sternum. And I often see women, you know, 10, 15 years down the track and they think, why is she assessing my tummy muscles? Uh-huh. Um you know, commonly I'll still see that rib flaring pattern and wider um, diastasis of their tummy muscles. And then you need to look at, 
you know, like their deep hip rotators and their glute strength and their coordination of their core connection. So, you know, it's um, we use we, we, we don't just do pelvic floor, I guess, and you've talked about decoir veins and carpal tunnel and things like that. So we're using all of our physio skill set to kind of look at all of these things. And it does start, you know, we often use the language that it's pelvic floor and core first, and then we work out from there. And, you know, you really want to understand that muscle function so then you can appropriately do everything else. And also work with the woman to try to reach whatever goal she's aiming for. As yeah. Well. Yep. Yep. It could be wanting to run marathons. It could be that yeah. she to CrossFit. CrossFit, you know. And and as public floor physios, we don't say, oh, you should never do CrossFit mm-hmm. or you should never be yeah. Pilates. But we need to make sure that your body's fit and strong and, and healthy to be able to do that safely. I love that, um, that you've said that at the end because Mm -hmm. I I don't want ever mums to be told oh you've had a baby this is just your body now just good luck you're not going to be strong anymore you can be stronger most parts yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. and the benefits of exercise are Mm. so important for our mental health physical health you know diabetes cardiovascular so we can't wall and say look after your pelvic floor see you later Mm. we've got to you know try to get the pelvic floor in the best condition possible to do what you want to do, yeah. stay fit and healthy. Yes, there are certain situations where we might need a little bit of extra help to help support the pelvic floor, um, you know, pessaries and things like that. But, um, you know, it's all about trying to reach your goals and stay fit and healthy. Lovely. Thanks. Love it. Yeah, you, that's ladies. a good ending. And let's, yeah. thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for asking us. Yeah. It was fun. Good. Yeah. It wasn't as nerve wracking as I thought. Yeah. <laughs> um, good company, that guy. <laughs> if anyone still has questions, I'm sure these lovely ladies will um, happily answer them. If if you want to drop us an email, it's realtalkformums at gmail.com. Um, and thank you again. <laughs>